Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast with me, Chanel Patrice Hancock, here in Akron, Ohio, where it's about 66 degrees Fahrenheit. And I just finished day one of Women in Language with our great founders, Kirsten Cable of the Fluent Show slash fluent.co.uk, Shannon Kennedy of Eurolinguist, and Lindsay Williams of Lindsay Does Languages. And I have to say, I really enjoyed these series of talks. It went by really fast. But before I even get into my thoughts on the entire day, let me think the people who helped me the most, you guys, thank you for your consistency of listening to me speak and babble about language learning, life as someone that's visually impaired, low vision, not total, somebody that's a guide dog user and that lives life to the fullest, doing what I love doing, which is sharing information about language learning in my own way, not anyone else's. Thank you for the past 28 months of supporting me on this wonderful journey. I can't believe I reached 112 countries already and it hasn't even been 32 months yet, which is great. So thank you so much. Thank you to the new people who have started following me. Thank you to the 14.6K listeners. I really appreciate it. Um, So, and also thank you to Anchor. You know, without Anchor, I wouldn't be able to put this podcast on plus my other podcast. So, you know, thank you. So now I'm going to get into the reason why I'm creating this series of special episodes this weekend. And that's because today was the start of year three, Women in Language, by Kirsten Cable, Lindsay Williams, and Shannon Kennedy. And I have to say, I count them as really great friends. And they've always been supportive of me, my podcast, and my own language learning journey. And I just have to say, love you guys. Thank you. You guys rock. Um, You know, you bring a fresh approach to what it means to be a woman and learn languages, whether you're writing books and teaching your kids like Gabriela Simmons, or you're talking about your heritage languages like your... Um, Mariska Blasco let's just say I really enjoyed this talk this series of talks and the first talk was about how Gabriela wrote a series of books created her own business three years ago online for the first time and how her and her family learned a series of different languages and how she fell in love with children's books and created her own series of children's books and how that series of books became known worldwide because of her love of languages and helping children learn languages and the ups and downs of what it means to 
teach your kid a language. Um, you know, personally, I don't have any kids, but if I did, I would have taught them, you know, a language, something that would, would be beneficial for them in the long run. And, you know, I know as an adult, it can be grinding to teach your children how to tie their shoes and button their buttons. Yet, when it comes down to it, a language is something that you acquire over time. And with kids, you have to keep their interest so much, it's like unreal. And unless it's something that they're really interested in, they're going to do it for a little bit, and then that's it. <laughs> they're going to do whatever their friends are doing. Or they're going to learn whatever their friends are learning. Just because that's the cool thing to do. And I think we've all done that because we've all been children. So we can all kind of relate to that whole, Mom, Dad, this is cool, but I want to learn this. You know, or I'm going to learn this and resist that. And, you know, I love the fact that she actually said, you know, she, she, you know, they learned some Spanish and some English and, you know, they're in Hong Kong. And so now she's, you know, they're having to speak Cantonese or Mandarin, you know, and, you know, she doesn't know if they're going to be in one place forever. And so it's, you know, you have to like test the waters and see what the pitfalls of, you know, um, teaching your child a language you know, you don't want to feel like you're sacrificing your heritage languages that you grew up with or your even your main language. Um, but you do want to make sure that they have some type of culture uh, representation of the place for which you're currently living in. And so, yes, when you're a kid, you might know a smidget of this and a smidget of that. But whatever your primary language is going to be outside of the home with teachers and other students and friends that's the one that you're going to focus on and you know I have to give her props because it takes a lot to want to create a series of books and uh, want to make sure that you know kids everywhere could learn languages in a fun and accessible way and not put pressure on the kids you know because I can tell you as someone that's legally blind and that totally um, you know, aside from English, my first language was actually American Sign Language, and that was because one of my good friends who was four years older, well, actually, she was a little older than that. She was like six years older than me. She taught me sign language because I didn't have anything else to do. I had all this energy. And so, because I was interacting with kids that were deaf, not deaf and blind, but deaf, I was able to use it. But once I got away from the deaf community, I didn't use it so much until about a decade and a half later. And then once I left school altogether, I stopped using it. So my level of American Sign Language isn't as high as it was when I first learned it when I was five years old. And so I learned bits of Spanish from other people and bits of Italian from other people. But it wasn't until I got to college that's when I learned what I learned and you know you will fight learning something because 
it's not the language of choice. It's just something you have to do because it's a requirement. Like in the case of learning a language because you need it for a degree requirement. Like in my case. But if you find elements of that culture that you like, like food, movies, fashion, sports, music, then you can embrace that culture without having to sacrifice your own um, identity. And I really like the fact that, you know, she was able to create a series of books. She was able to create her own business for like a hundred US dollars. And, you know, from all the way in Hong Kong, even though it might have cost her some shipping costs as far as trying to build the, um, um, brand that she had created and the business that she had created. And, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know, I'm an avid reader and, I just love the fact that she was able to to bring language and culture to her children in a way that would be beneficial. It might have not have always seemed um, easy at first, you know, for her to be able to, to do um, successful tasks with learning, you know, teaching her children the language that she wanted, but they did get something out of it, which was a great thing that she gets to do something that she really enjoys and share it with people that really, you know, enjoy it, you know, learning how to teach their kids languages too. And I mean, I actually did enjoy that talk. It it really brought back to me, you know, that, it, and I, I don't have any children, um, but it did bring back home to me personally that, you know, no matter, you know, if you have kids or not, or you have nieces or nephews, or you have cousins that are little, and you want to be able to share, you know, your heritage language or the family language or whatever it is with them, you can do it in a way that would be beneficial for, you know, um, them in the end. And for me, that was that was a big plus. I really enjoyed the talk immensely. Um, I also enjoyed the heritage language talk with Esther and Marissa and, um, Esther and Desta, Desta. So I have to say, I really related to that talk because, I just learned that I have 30% Bente tribe in me from Africa, which the main language is Swahili. Um, and um, um, Asante Sana, um, everybody for your talks. I really appreciated it. Um, which is thank you very much in um, Swahili. Yet, I wouldn't have picked it up if, you know, I wouldn't have found out that I had a connection with it. Just like I found out that I am a quarter Irish. And I picked up that for almost three months this spring. And I learned quite a bit. So, Goro me mali agat mehara. Um... And which is a thousand thank yous, my friends, in Irish. 
August, Ta Me Begang Gingawa Agat. I could speak a little bit of Irish, Mehara, my friends. And, um, you know, I really do have to say, I wouldn't have thought about learning Irish um, at all, really, until I found that out. You know, the, the 23andMe, my aunt did the, um, she did the, um, she did the, um, DNA test to find out what was in our bloodline, and uh, we found that out, and that was kind of awesome. Um, and I wondered how I got my willfulness, <laughs> but I will say that you know it made me really think about that, and I kept wondering why I kept going back to Africa for when I was younger. Um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that my mother instilled in me um, to learn about. Asia and the Middle East and um, Africa a lot when I was little books and documentaries and, um, you know, artwork and, you know, fashion. And so, yeah, we, I was really entrenched when I was younger in that world. And then I also had a love affair with France, Italy, and Russia. So for me, you know, learning Russian in three years was a great thing and that being my first language. But I mean, Russian and French and Italian languages I claim. And then Swahili, Cantonese, Japanese, and Arabic are the other languages that I claim as well. Um, But I might not be of French origin or Russian or Italian, but, you know, I've had a lot of influences in my personal life and it really made me think about you know what it takes to learn a a heritage language I mean you're not going to always have somebody that is going to be down with you when it comes down to learning a heritage language I mean my aunt still says she wants to learn Swahili but she hasn't taken the time to do so even though I've given her the tools to be able to do it you know and um, so as a result of that you know, I went ahead and I decided to do it because I know that I would be able to pass it down to a relative at some point or somebody that I care about, um, you know, or my future niece and nephew, you know, my on my father's side for my brother. So for me, listening to, you know, Desta talk about her experience of teaching her um, niece English, even though she spoke French. And, you know, having to use smaller words and having to, to, you know, um, she wanted to teach her her native tongue, but she couldn't because, you know, she knew she needed to learn English. So she just went with the English, you know, and being told to, you know, you need to learn French and you need to keep with the French and not really going with her passion of wanting to learn Arabic and Thai as much until now. And and there's nothing wrong with that because I I personally feel that if someone tells you to learn another language, um, you know, because they think that it might be beneficial for you, you know, I wonder if it's sometimes if it's because they, they think they have good intentions as to trying to steer you to that, that particular language because of what 
career benefits it might offer or you know they might be, have some fear of you know if you learn mandarin or russian or arabic for instance you might get some backlash because of it you know i mean those types of fears still exist even here in the u.s today in the 21st century so you know i i could relate to that i mean there's plenty of people where you know like esther says all the time the two languages in, in the U.S. are English and Spanish. And if you know those, you can go very far. That's the truth. But there's a lot of the Spanish-speaking population that don't even speak Spanish. And they're in the Latina comunidad. You know, están, um, van en Latina comunidad aquí en el Estados Unidos. Entonces, los compadres aquí, uh, esto particular um, podcast, programa. But at the end of the day, some of that might just be because the parents and the grandparents were ashamed of what the backlash was going to be because of their kids speaking Spanish. And, you know, I mean, there's so many people that are interpreters, court interpreters, medical interpreters, because a lot of them come over from Mexico or Soita Americana Entonces, you know. Vivir aquí en el Estados Unidos entonces. And so because they do, the main problem of communication, they don't know English. They're not exposed to it unless they go to a la universidad in México or Soto Americana or otro país en el mundo entonces. Aprender el inglés idioma uh, para el primero tiempo. But to be honest, even if they go to a university somewhere in the world to learn Spanish or English, you know, that's great. Um, but at the same time, you have you have some backlash because... You know, here it's English all the time. It's Anglified, you know. Uh, cultural appropriation does happen in this country. If you're speaking Spanish or Russian or Mandarin or Arabic, someone has something to say about it because they believe Inglés está solamente idioma saber y hablar. You know, so if that's the only language you need to know and speak every single day, we got problems. But I kind of feel that if you have a heritage language, learn it. You will learn so much about the culture, the people. You know, it's it's not even, it's it's something that you will never regret a day in your life. Is to be able to speak even if it's a little bit of the language, you know more than you did before. And I know for me, I know more Swahili than I did before. It might not be much right now, but I guarantee you if I get to a conversational level, I'll be satisfied with it. And I know that I probably won't be speaking it with anybody here in Akron because there's not that many people for me to speak Swahili. But I know if I spoke Arabic or Japanese or Cantonese or Thai or a little bit of Mandarin or Russian, French, Italian, German, 
not so much German, but probably Pennsylvania Dutch. But even if I spoke Dutch, people would still understand what I was saying. And you come to find out that I really found, oh, you also can't speak some Polish here. <laughs> so there there are people that speak like Urdu here and Dari because they're from Afghanistan or Pakistan and you know, you might have some Somali here, you some Ukrainian here. I mean, so it just depends on what part of town you're you're really living on. But a lot of them, you know, they come here, they learn the language of English. They don't forget their own language. They still keep their heritage language. And they thrive and work and they're happy. You know, and they're happy when you're learning their language. And I mean, to me, that means something. I used to live down the street when I was living in Cleveland in a Polish restaurant slash um, grocery store. And they spoke Polish. I didn't know an ounce of Polish. But they were the sweetest people. And I love their freaking daggone um, their... Um, I love their food. Their food was amazing. And, you know, for me personally, it makes you want to learn another language. Like, I was learning a bit of Irish over the spring, and I learned how to make shepherd's pie as a result of it. So, you know, I try to find things that connect me. And it's a great thing when, you, you know, you can find things that connect you to your language. And you should, the one thing I got out of this talk was whether if you were learning Polish or you were learning French or you were learning Spanish or Basque, that find something that you really enjoy. And they all talked about that. Find something that you enjoy. Esther talked about that too. And I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that she found a sport that she enjoyed, learned how to play it, played it internationally, and and became a teacher and started teaching over in Spain and France. It made her dreams come true, regardless of, of what she had to do in order to, to achieve it. You know, I, I enjoyed the fact that, um, you know, Desta was able to, you know, move to London and and communicate with other people in the different languages that she knew, including her own heritage language. That was like freaking awesome. You know, I mean, I would give anything to be able to do that, you know, but I know that Irish and Swahili aren't spoken in, in Akron. So, you know, I go for the languages that I am comfortable with that I have claimed for my own, even though I'm not, uh, you know, Asian or Arab or French or Italian, but, or Russian, but I still love those languages like they were my own and like I was born in those countries. So I do identify with those languages very strongly. And I feel that Listening to that talk and those series of talks 
you know, really brought me much more closer to, you know, not being ashamed of uh, learning a heritage language, regardless if I'm the only one speaking it in my family. I mean, I probably speak more languages in my family than anybody. I mean, everybody else is monolingual. They might have taken Spanish or French, but they're not like, oh, I'm going to speak this every day. I'm going to eat the food. I'm going to... Nope. Nope. Absolutely not. And and that that says something by itself. Um, I will say um, I, I was saddened to hear that two of the talks uh, were able to take place. Um, I was really wanting to hear Alina's um, talk and Sarah Maria Haspin's talk, which I actually had the opportunity to interview her um, earlier this year, which was great, and talking about our love for Asian languages and culture and travel. And I mean, that's another thing that connects me to, you know, heritage languages is the food and the culture, the history. I just don't learn these languages, you know, just to become fluent. I learn them because I want to be able to cook the food and, and break bread with people and, you know, um, really bridge the gap between countries and, and people and you know that I made so many friends from Lebanon and different parts of the Middle East because I'm learning how to cook food from the Middle East and buying spices from Amazon and you know so for me this heritage um topic was the talk was amazing and I, I I'm probably going to go back and rewatch it again because I, I loved it that much um and it really did strike a chord with me um I also like Lucrezia's um talk you know about um you know learning you know learning a single language Um, and, you know, sticking with that language and, and not, um, allowing anybody to deter you from learning that language if that's the language you want to speak. And, you know, honestly, to tell you the truth... Um, that was how I felt with Russian. You know, there were plenty of people that believed that I shouldn't be speaking Russian or Arabic, you know, and I lived and breathed Russian for three years straight and taught myself Russian. And that was the first language I ever taught myself independently. And I always identified with Italian because of cinema and I studied film. And so I loved Italian cinema and Italian food. And I had... Italian best friends and would pick up a little here and there but it you know it wasn't until I started teaching myself Italian and I really became you know 100% involved with it for cultural reasons cinematic reasons fashion reasons I love Versace so you know I just didn't want to learn something like that just because I wanted to be fluent I just I loved it for the, all the other reasons the culture the people the food you know, and it gave me more respect for for the people because I grew up around Italians and 
Latinas and, and, and Asians and other people of other ethnic minorities. And, you know, the fact that someone can relearn their own language in order to be able to teach it to other people, you know, using YouTube and the Internet, that says something right there. That, that says that the person really does have pride in what it is that they do in order to be able to teach someone else how to learn their language. You know, I love the English language, and that's why I'm certified to teach English. But I loved it for a very long time. And it's not until you actually use your language to help someone else learn your language. You have a better respect for the language than you did when you were learning it as a native speaker of the language. So for me, I really found her message to be very beautiful. And, you know, you're not going to always see eye to eye on the different methods of language learning. But if you find something that you really enjoy about that language, that's what really counts. And I, I really found Lucrezia's speech to be quite interesting. And, and you know, um, I probably will go back over that again because I enjoyed it that much. Um, and she's a great speaker, by the way. And I have been following her for quite some time. But I also have to say... Um, that I really did enjoy um, Esther's talk this afternoon about how she started to learn Basque and moving to Idaho and learning the sport of her people and immersing herself in the community and doing whatever it took to to work hard to to get to Spain and you know not only get her science degree go back for another year and get her teaching degree you know to actually go and and step in for a player that was injured and play a sport or a part of a sport that you weren't really that proficient in to help somebody else who got injured to make sure that the team was able to advance to the next round. That is passion, commitment, and very gutful. And, you know, that takes a lot of tenacity and drive and commitment to really be, um, you know, that committed to make sure that those girls were able to compete. That's how committed she was. And I, I found that to be so enlightening and so inspiring. You know, when you're willing to put yourself on the line and completely make a fool of yourself, even though she really didn't make a fool of herself because she was doing this to help that girl who got injured. You know, I don't know too many people that would have done that. And so, you know, I give her some credit for that. You know, that, that says a lot right there. Um, I also have to say that, you know, I, I mean, I loved her talk. Her talk was amazing. You know, it was extremely inspiring. I like the fact that she had activities for people to do. She had people do self-analysis of, of where they wanted to go as far as their goals, 
whether it was language related or life related, you know, that she started with small goals and, and worked her way up. Um, you know, I like the fact that she starts small and doesn't try to overplan what it is that she wants to achieve, you know, and that she she takes a positive outlook on it and keeps it moving regardless of what she has to do in order to make it happen. You know, and I mean, that kind of reminds me of me at 43 years old. You know, I would have never thought I would be helping people learn English online. I, I, w- I never thought I would have a podcast show that has almost 15,000 people. I, I would never thought I would be interviewing people from all over the world and people would be taking me seriously. I mean, it, it, to hear her story and Desta's story and um, Gabriela's story and Marissa's story, um, was amazing to me. Um, the only one I didn't catch was the one that was before Lucretius. And I probably will go back and rewatch that. Um, I caught a little bit of it. And it did remind me of my acting days because I took voice classes. And you did, I did learn the IPA. And, you know, I learned how to read and write in the IPA in print because I could still read large print at the time. So I do know what that particular speaker um, was, Miss Simpson, was um, talking about. And some of the techniques she used were very familiar to me. And I could identify with what she was saying um, in regards to accent reduction and, you know, how you apply that to language learning. And, I mean, um, you do use that sort of technique when you're taking voice. And I took a year and a half of voice in college when I was studying acting in college. Um, at Kent State. So I could relate to that. Um, I did find that to be quite interesting because that was a talk that was not something that you normally would um, hear about on the polyglot stage. Um, And I'm glad that it's been addressed because that is something that's extremely important. Um, And it needs to be talked about um, because a lot of people do focus a lot on their accent when they're trying to, you know, learn the language and make sure that they're pronouncing everything correctly and that, you know, their speech is is on point. I mean, evidently, if English is your first language, you know, I, I personally, I would advise that you do a lot of listening and a, a, a lot of a lot of pronunciation drills um because that's going to help you depending on what it is, what language you're learning um and listening is a key factor and a lot of people fail to realize that um you know sleep is a big factor <laughs> drinking a lot of water is a big factor um you know taking care of your voice is a big factor uh, especially if you're using your voice all the time to speak even if it's in your own language, um, you know, and honestly, um, 
that was that was an interesting talk. I, I have to I have to say. I I I enjoyed what parts I was able to watch. Um I enjoyed the opening ceremony. I enjoyed the fact that for the first time we got to see Kirsten, Lindsay and Shannon all on one screen. Um I do have to say, you know, the first day I really didn't have any problems with getting to the screens on an accessible side of things. Um I will say that, um, you know, I enjoy now that when you go to chat, you can go right to the YouTube channel and interact with, you know, the other people chatting. And I don't have to sit up there and have to worry about not having, um, you know, accessibility problems with entering my information into the chat field and submitting the questions that I want to submit and being able to have voiceover read back to me what has been said. So it's it's a really good day today, I have to say. I I like I said before, I will I would have loved to hear Alina's and um Sarah's um presentations and I hope that we will be able to hear that at a later date um because I really that was something that I really wanted to hear um because I am studying Arabic and I really wanted to know more about Alina's um, new site and channel and, um, you know, how she came up with the idea. So I have to say overall that I enjoyed it. Um, I got to see some of my polyglot friends and um I got to see some new people and I'm hoping that I'll be able to network with a few of the speakers I heard today um I can't wait to hear Destus talk on Sunday and um I can't wait to hear Marissa speak um solo and I loved Esther's talk and so um I have to say if you haven't bought your ticket for women in language yet Go and buy it. It's $29 at womenandlanguage.com. Um, I will be doing another episode tomorrow for day two. Um, this is the first time I've done this on the show. So, um, you know, let me know what you guys think. Um, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, the Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Store, anywhere where podcasts are downloaded. And remember, language learning is a journey, not a race. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy women in language. And enjoy the episode of Chanel's Language Learning Journey Podcast. Salon, salut, kuhari, bye-bye, gule gule, daspadanya, sam, au revoir, tout le monde. Adios, los compadres. Molto grazie, mi amici, e buonasera. Ciao.